This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning. Here we are in Cotog's locker room inside the tiny woods of north central Florida, God's country, in the manly Warthog Man Cave. In the Melton Law Studio, Melton Law with 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida and Crime Prevention for Texas 365, cpss.net. Check them out. Check out the mugshots. Make sure you're safe from whoever's there. You'll find a lot of repeat offenders. Well, well, well. Hope you had a great turkey day and all that business and all that vacation and uh that you're recovering and settling down and getting ready for the next vacation, which, of course, is going to be Christmas right around the corner. You'll see trees up already and advertisements for spending your money, which you may find not as much of this time due to all the things that have inflated, eggs and bacon and gas and you name it. So travel as you can, as best you can. Of course, um, Thanksgiving holiday has always traditionally been the FSU Florida football game. Where would we be in Coach Hall's locker room without talking about it? It's um, it's a big event. And don't pretend that just because uh, whatever set of, how shall we say it, um, interpretations that you get from people who want to think it doesn't matter uh, that we lost, it matters. It matters a great deal. And it's um, perplexing because it leads to the same conversations that yours truly has heard so many times for so many years uh, here in this community about, well, who's the coach that's going to take us to the promised land? And every year we seem to, I know one thing, we dish out more and more money. And it's questionable whether we get, with the exception of Urban Meyer, uh, any closer to the promised land. The original person other than Steve, who really put Florida on the football um, um, calendar, marquee was Charlie Pell. And Charlie Pell really, really um, did a lot of work towards um, the establishment of this program as a premier program. And he got so popular um, that um, he got to be envious uh, of the other coaches, and of course, you know the rest of the story. When somebody's out to kind of eliminate you as a competition, often they they do that in unsavory ways, and you play into their hands by trying to help the players. In this his case, as I understand it and remember it, and those things today would be, you know, <laughs> now we got to nil and the payment of players. It, it, you know, it's. It's a prime example. Okay, here's a good example of why you can't judge a past culture 
by a present culture's ethics. Okay, settle down and listen to this, students. You early to class are going to hear this. The popular narrative right now is that you must pay reparations for being successful as an industrial nation and pay the people who didn't get the advantages of your wealth, which you built on slavery. Pure and simple. This is the popular narrative. Well, slavery at the time was a worldwide institution. Okay? It was no more or less evil or wicked than name, image, and likeness is today. Name, image, and likeness to the Charlie Pell era would be incredibly wicked. Awful ethics. Right? So you can't judge one era by another era's ethics. That's not going to work. You can't say, well, today, if Charlie Pell bought somebody a sandwich, a player, it'd be nothing today because we're buying the whole player. You get my point here. It's the theme of today's presentation is right along those lines. And that is prejudicing, prejudicing the electorate. Giving the narrative that something is unsavory when it's got to be put into a bigger context. What I find from doing this show, every time I think, well, you know, I've done enough of this, some, you know, I've served my public duty, my community service, if you will, something bugs me. And today I'm going to go through things with you that bug me. They may not bug you, but they bug me. If they bug me and you're my students, I'll show you why they bug me. So we've got a situation here where the Gators, by Gator standards, are losers. Now, since it's so much about the money, don't they'll get into a bowl somewhere. I mean, they will invent a bowl if they have to. Because Gators have followings, and they go spend and money. They go spend money, okay? Even though they're not winners, they're perplexing. They're not well coached. I mean, I've heard, believe me, before I went on the air today, I talked to a lot of players and a lot of coaches who just examine it objectively and see all sorts of problems. The Gators are not well coached. I mean, the kid catching a, a ball inside the 10-yard line and fumbling it, that's not good coaching. The defensive confused, you've got a quarterback. We've got a saying. I've always said this. You have to be careful of players who are just good enough to get you beat. Richardson, in some cases, in some ways you look at, is amazingly good. In other ways, he's amazingly poor. So he's just good enough that you keep thinking all the poor moments will become all the good moments, and they don't. 
They don't. And yet you hang with him, stay with him. I would like to have seen more of the backup quarterback. I thought he was bright eyed. I thought he was disciplined. Thought he was focused. Thought he moved the team and the little I saw of him. But you didn't see any of him. Let me go out on a limb here and make a prediction for you. Richardson will not be a Gator next year. Huh? You say, huh? He would be well advised to take the money from the NFL, who will at least roll the dice on him, as they did Tebow, who never played much, as they do lots of players. They'll probably roll the dice on him, given his basic skills and talents, and he'd be foolish not to take it. Now, he could get in a bidding war. This would be interesting. And Coach Hogg's locker room will watch this. He may be more offered more money in the collective from the collective to remain a college football player and don't doesn't necessarily have to be Florida than he would be offered to be an NFL player. But he's going to be offered money, a lot of money from somebody, as bad as he's been and as good as he's been. The two go hand in hand. So you're going to have probably another quarterback next year. And that's going to be the product of musical chairs called the collective or the transfer portal. Look at the Gator basketball team. The whole thing is a composite of people from other teams with the exception of maybe one or two, and they're getting a tar beat out of them. They're not a team. The Florida Gator basketball team is not a team. It's just a collection of guys who've been somewhere else. There's no team. You can see that in the resounding defeat last night. This whole concept of a team used to be one of the strong suits of college football. Even Nick Saban is saying that. But you're not looking at teams now. You're looking at paid players. Now, in the NFL, it's different, of course. There you are representing a city. Uh, you can be kind of unwanted if you cross the channels there and the coaches X you out of the lineup and label you somebody they don't want. Look at uh, the controversial quarterback and everybody said had to catch on with a team somewhere. The one who was anti-American, you don't see him. The coaches wouldn't touch him. It was a problem. They didn't want him. So the Gator football team lost. And you'll find all sorts of people saying, oh, my golly, it was a face mask. Now, go look at the rule. That was not a face mask. In order to be a face mask, according to the rule, go look at it. NFL has the same rule as the college has. You have to grab and twist and pull. In other words, really bring the player down by the face mask. That didn't happen with Richardson's panicking rollout. And yet, there are people trying to say, oh, my God, the game 
was hanging on that. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Clock management. Horrible with the Gators. It's been horrible all year. Timeouts and time, you know, it's been horrible. This team coach called a timeout to talk to the quarterback to get his head right so he knew what the plays were and blew the timeout and didn't have it down the stretch when he needed it. But I'm not getting paid seven and a half million bucks, but you can draw your own conclusions about it. You are a fan. You do pay to sit in the seat. You don't pay to see it at home, but you're paying. So they lost. Their season's terrible. I'm looking back over my shoulder. You know, we have Zook here. We have Darnell here. We have a bunch of guys. You know, they, you know, I mean, I can't even remember the names of them. Until you get into the SEC championship, which is the only thing that the money is being spent for. It's not being spent just to keep you happy on that channel for that game or in that seat. It's being spent to go to the SEC where the big money is. And then the big dance where the bigger money is. It's all about the money. Meanwhile, a quiet victory going on right here, and I've got my fingers crossed because – I like this coach and I like this team is the women's basketball team in Florida. Now you can say they haven't played anybody and they probably not in the SEC games yet, but there's a kind of spirit and cohesiveness that is infectious among those players that stems from the coach. And so once again, I've been watching kind of out the corner of one eye here at them and they are indeed Winning. And they're winning in a tough way. I mean, they're having to fight for the victory. They're having to really push it, sometimes going in overtimes. But they're all together. So you can't blame the losses on the rules. Because if you went back and objectively looked at this miss and that miss, it, they're all over the place for both sides. That's that's the human that's a human frailty. In tennis, it got we've tried to deal with it in that we have the replays. In tennis, in the McElroe era, we didn't have the instant replay. Now we have the lines called by machines in tennis. There's no disputing. The camera shows you where the ball landed. The judgment is not made by the chair umpire. Now, initially, it's made by the line uh, umpire, but it's immediately evaluated against the camera. In baseball, we now have a camera on the strike zone. And that strike zone is used to evaluate the efficiency and quality of those umpires. So, you know, everything is what it is. You deal with what you can control. And what you can control, clock management, you can control the lineup, you can control the training of those who go into it, you can control those things. 
Now, can you control them to a lesser or greater degree now that you have transfer portal? That's going to be evaluated. It looks as if the transfer portal is not helping the Florida Gator basketball team. The Florida Gator basketball team has yet to enter the SEC games. So we'll really know a little bit more then. So make no mistake about it. Florida lost the game. And I don't really believe they were ever in it. I never predicted them to win. That doesn't mean anything's my prediction, but I, I studied them. I watched them. Been watching the coach. Been talking to other coaches. Guys with whom I coach, guys who I looked up to who were coaches. I get sort of the same opinion everywhere I look. But, you know, it'll be okay. He'll be here next year. But after that, if we have a repeat, then you're going to see really more money, more money, more money. On the pro level, I guess the absence of Gronkowski for Brady really means a lot. Gronkowski was probably the best tight end in the NFL. And um, he obviously got along very, very well on the field with Brady. They were dangerous, very dangerous. Well, he's gone. And those Bucks have had a tough time scoring without him for whatever reason. He's one of the big reasons, I think. But the Jaguars have got a coach now that you can see is exciting the players, and the players are excited about him. And that finish yesterday with the Jaguars was something I think I have been thinking they've been capable of all along. That type of performance out of that quarterback. If you look at their defense, they are in the hunt every snap of the ball. Everybody rushing to the ball, hitting hard. That's a pretty darn good defense in a pretty tough league. And they're basically a step or two away from going up another notch, in my humble opinion. And I think for the first time, I'm beginning to think they'll get there. There's some talk of Fred Taylor actually being voted into the Hall of Fame. We'll see. He was really the last Jaguar that, well, there were some linemen too, that were really, the Jaguars have had some good players. So keep your eye on them. I think they're probably going to improve and improve, although those games are all fiercely contested. The other thing that's worth talking about, and this was suggested to me by a member of the research team who is an international person. The person who gave me this tip himself is multinational, uh, from Ghana, has lived in South Africa, um, has relations from Lebanon and United States, a naturalized citizen. So there are a lot of people like that. I was tipped off by this research member in the World Cup. Now, you know, the World Cup is an interesting activity. It uh, began November 20th, and uh, it uh, has been, it's going to end on December 18th. It's the quadrennial event that pits the best national soccer teams 
against each other for the title of world's champion. And there are 32 teams competing. Um, they are, uh, Qatar is uh, the host. It's very hot. So they're doing it in November instead of what would traditionally be the summer. And um, they, they have, if you will, a kind of automatic, it's not an exacting analysis, um, transfer portal or players portal in that their players come from all over the place and don't necessarily play for where they came from. Uh, there is Brian Mbemo, uh, who was approached by Samuel Ito to be a member of, of that team that uh, uh, really would be out of a club in England. So Cameroon is a big source of soccer. Now, Mbemo was born in Avalon in the heart of France. There are more than 130 players in the World Cup representing a country other than that of their birth. So what we're looking at in the World Cup, World Cup is kind of a complexity based upon defining nationality and identity, according to articles you'll read in the New York Times and sports uh, uh, publications that are studying this. Um, and it's sort of like the complexity that we're experiencing now in college football. Because you don't, as a player, necessarily owe any allegiance to the state you were born in. Uh, you don't owe any allegiance to the college you're attending. You only owe allegiance to what? The highest bidder. Well, the World Cup is kind of an example of this. Um, there's, a, there's a player named Zirdan Shankiri who um, has spent his early years in Jamaica, but he represents England at the national level. Uh, um, no, that's Ramin Sterling. The, the, uh, Kiri was uh, born in Switzerland, and uh, he is like a refugee. He goes out in shops where he's going to play as well. Poland's Zaluski, uh, born in uh, Poland, but plays for Italy. This is so complicated that you don't think of this really is sort of being like the transfer portal of football, only on an international level. So what do you take from this? It is a situation where uh, people, players, can find themselves, these soccer players, inundated at the last moment with potential replacements for themselves on a team that they are actually representing having been born from that country and replaced from somebody entirely from another country who suddenly has to blend in 
with all these prospective teammates, much like the Florida basketball teams have to do. If you want to see kind of a miniature World Cup issue, look at the Florida basketball team right now. They're from all over the place, but they haven't blended in. It doesn't look as if they've blended in well. So that's a big challenge. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not easy uh, to assimilate these people who are from all these different countries who don't necessarily play for the country that they were from. Their parents may be one from one country. They were born in another country. And they play for yet a third country. They have international careers uh, that may not commit them to their parents or their uh, place of birth. And, of course, this leads to doubts about their motives for why they're going to this team. That's what's going to happen in college football. It's going to lead to doubts about why they're going to come to Florida. It already has opened up doubts about why, you know, the kid was kicked off or the scholarship was withdrawn for him singing of songs uh, 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 that he didn't write. And he was singing along with it, had the N word in it that is published and sung. And he posted it on his Facebook. So he's gone. Well, why was he gone? Why was it so easy to get rid of him? Well, they had a better one coming. I mean, that's the scuttlebutt you hear. So what you have with the fans in the World Cup and in college football is an effort to persuade the fans that the team members have a genuine commitment to, in the case of the World Cup, the country they're playing for, which they don't, or in the college ranks to the college you're playing for, which they don't. So it's most interesting. In the case of the World Cup, you absolutely become an international traveler. And you can take advantage of the mobility of your birthright in the World Cup. You're not tied to playing for Cameroon if you were born in Cameroon. You're not tied to playing for Ghana if you were born in Ghana. Uh, you can have a shared history. You can have a parent that was born in France and play for Ghana. So this world of sports loyalty to the team for which you play is a new ethic, a new ethic. Now, are you going to tell the, the, the players that they're bad players because they want to go play for a better country's team, even though they technically weren't born there or technically they have to say, well, I had a parent born there? No, you're not, because that's the way the sport is played now. If the quarterback Richardson for Florida shows up next year at Alabama. Are you going to blame Richardson? And if he shows up at Alabama and all of a sudden he's what he should have been at Florida, are you going to say it's because of the coaching? 
Or if Richardson shows up in the pros and never plays, are you going to say, see, he shouldn't have played down here. We should have other. It's really interesting stuff going on right now. And this is the nature of what I'm looking at with athletics right now. How will the fans fit into all this? It's going to be interesting to see if they disengage or they engage. Right now, the University of Florida females basketball team is, is playing to hardly anyone in the audience. Um, so what we'll watch is that they start winning and winning against big schools, South Carolina, people like this, Tennessee. Then what will happen? Will we increase the people who come to see them live? I mean, that's the formula, isn't it? That's what's always been the formula. That's what perhaps is no longer the formula. So it's a changing world. And it's very difficult to apply the ethics of the way it used to be to the way it is now. Or the way it is now to the way it used to be. So be careful when you form an opinion about the past based on the present or the present based on the past. Charlie Pell, who was run out of coaching for a very small transgression compared to today's world, um, would be just one of the regular guys today, I think. We'll be right back on the Word Scott Files in just a moment. I'll cover some local issues with you that are on point today. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. 
may God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All these poop. Oh, warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. And now, Professor Ward Scott, we just did Coach Hall's locker room. And I did an analysis of um, today's ethics and how they're affecting not only the World Cup, but uh, college football and fans and money and bowls and a whole bit. Very interesting. Um, some people are mostly, I would say, against it, um, the collective and all that business. The coaches don't like it. It scrambles their ability to uh, prioritize and and uh, evaluate and all that business and gives them a joker in the deck. But in the World Cup, it seems to be quite acceptable, given the fact that it is an international sport. And many of these players have uh, parents or international parents from different countries. And uh, that complicates it. And it's, it's acceptable that they can go uh, play for a, a country that they were associated with, perhaps only in a remote way. So the weather today in this, uh, where we are here in the Piney Woods, of North Central Florida, God's country is 51 degrees, a little chilly. We can see some of the BTUs coming off water, uh, off the fields. We've had some moisture overnight. It's kind of refreshing to tell you the truth. Uh, the hot we have all the time. Sun came up at seven o'clock. I'm watching the sun outside uh, my back porch here because it tells me exactly where the uh, seasons are. And the sun is almost now as. Uh, uh, far south as it's going to get. About another three weeks, it's going to stop on the tree line. A tree line for me off my back porch is a San Falasco hammock, uh, San Falasco forest. The sun will begin crawling back north on the tree line. And I can literally tell you what month we're in by looking at the, at the sun on the tree line off my back porch. I don't need a calendar. Now, the humidity is always pretty high around here, in case you're listening to us from somewhere else. But we do not have any severe weather on the uh, map right now, but central uh, part of the continent does, with severe weather threatening to uh, affect uh, about 25 million people from Texas to Illinois. And that's going to be something uh, to look out for. And by severe weather, we mean tornadoes, and all the business that happens when these different uh, temperatures of air collide. Uh, we also have a continuing look on big snowfall in the Northeast. But if you're a skier, you got a great season right now because we're going to get another dump in the Rockies. Uh, Hawaii, we think, forget about its weather, but it's just had a big eruption of its uh, a volcano there on its biggest island. So uh, that's all part of the United States, too, as, as you know. So I want to thank uh, Lewis Oil for giving us the opportunity to bring you the weather. I think we'll be in pretty good shape here for the next few days. So uh, govern yourself accordingly. Well, today's um, show is really called Prejudging. I almost say can't say that word, so why did I use it? Prejudging. 
king of the electorate. Um, and, and here's an article that I want to I want to go over with you because uh, it was published in the Gainesville Sunset, and it's a pretty good example of what you have to have a built-in crap detector for. Uh, my good friend Don Pierce, who of course has since passed, uh, wrote Cool Hand Luke, the book and the movie, acted in the movie, and did the time on the chain gang. Um, he never went to high school, never finished. His uh, family was uh, worked in the fields and you know picked the fruit and followed the all the the, the crops. If you saw the movie, it, the mother in the back of the pickup truck is basically the essence of Don Pierce's life. But Don Pierce was a genius. Um, he had a gift for cutting to the heart of the story and not being afraid to do it. And he told me on several occasions that he had a built-in crap detector. He could tell when somebody was BSing him or pulling a, a fast one on him. And that was what enabled him to get as far in the world as he did with as little formal education as he had. So it helps to have a built-in craft detector. I don't know if you can teach students how to have a built-in craft detector. It's one of the great mysteries. I taught people critical thinking as well as taught it to myself uh, for years. I learned all the fallacies, logical fallacies and the syllogisms and the uh, learn to evaluate opinion from fact, all the things which we do. But in the end, it might just take a lot of genetic coding in your personality that you are suspicious to start with. And you start kind of looking to see what the real story is. Everywhere I see something, practically everywhere, I see something published in the public press. I see it all wrong, all wrong. And I'm going to give you an example right now. Um, this is an article by Andrew Kaplan. Now, I used to think that Andrew, Andrew Kaplan was one of the better Gainesville Sunset writers. But, you know, I don't know if I'd go along with that so much anymore. Um, he has written and it was published a Sunday. And that's why I'm going to go over it. Once again, an article about single member districts. And he opens this piece by saying, caught off guard and with few tools to combat a flurry of misleading mailers. Well, let me go tell you about misleading mailers. The mailers were only misleading if you didn't know the truth. The mailer said that the NAACP endorsed single member districts. It does. I've already told you where it does. In its national publications, on its website, the NAACP takes the position that there wouldn't be any black representatives and senators and this and that and one thing and another if we are not for single member districts. Now, single member districts can be corrupted. Corrine Brown is an excellent example. She was elected from a single member district, but the district 
was carved up to have a high percentage of minority voters. So you can see why the NAACP would be for single member districts. With single member districts, we can carve the district so that it guarantees a Corrine Brown. And the NAACP totally endorses that. The local chapter headed by Evelyn Fox does not because they already have a representative every time from their district and the county at large who's black, Chuck Chestnut. Before that, it's Mama. For that, Rodney, uh, Rodney Long. So it was nothing misleading by the mailers. What was misleading was the reaction to the mailers. Are you with me? Pay attention. The mailers were not misleading. The local NAACP's reaction was misleading. Andrew Kaplan needs to be sent to his room without his supper for opening this article on the front page of the sunset and the sunset for publishing this. Where are the editors? Where are the editors? If I were the editor and Andrew Kaplan gave me this article, I would say, go back and fix it. Go back and fix it. Then I'm just going to go to some places that annoy the heck out of me. He writes, a data analysis from the Gainesville Sun shows that the leads held by the three winning, winning Democrats, Mary Alford, Ken Cornell, and Mary Helen Wheeler, would likely have been too large to overcome for challenging Republicans. Look, I just finished showing you. You can't compare today's game to one that hasn't been played yet. Do you think? Do you think he can do that? This is snake oil salesman at work here. What are you saying? A data analysis? No, you don't know that because the game would have been played entirely differently. The political game would have been played entirely differently. It's one of the dumbest statements in the article, and it's based on a data analysis by the Gainesville Sunset. My God. And then you go, quote, Cornell, 
all the commissioners should have divested themselves from this process because they stand to win or lose. They should have kept their mouths shut. The county manager should have re, re I don't get me started on that. Some it's in, it's incredible. The incompetence, the the, the misinformation, the, the deliberate laziness that's gone into this article. Cornell saying, well, let's give it a try, but I don't think that's what they want. What does he know? He doesn't know. He never thought the thing would pass. Because they've worked their cans off to suppress it. For 20 years, the public has been trying to get this on the ballot. Just get it on the ballot. If this were his real position, if this were his real position, he and two of his colleagues would have put it on the ballot. But nobody calls him out on this. Furthermore, I don't, I mean, this is really riles me up, okay? Because you read this stupid stuff. In another paragraph, Kaplan writes, in the weeks prior to election day, Republican operatives dumped hundreds of thousands of dollars in the message. Let me tell you something, friends. I was in those rooms when this strategy was being developed. And let me tell you something, friends. The people in that room were not all white. Hello. The people in that room were not all Republicans. Hello. Why doesn't this writer ask me instead of Cornell? Cornell wasn't in that room. You understand what we're doing here? We're trying to help you be a better citizen. I know this crap inside out. I'm just one guy. In the next paragraph, he says that local Democratic voters were tricked. Tricked. By this picture that the NAACP and local black leaders, that whole business which we've gone through already. That's no trick. That's research. You can go research it yourself right now. I think it's on page 63. I don't know. I, I know, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm just whistling down a hole.
here's another thing that bugs me. Gainesville has been a Democratic stronghold carrying progressive candidates to overwhelming victories. You know why you only get progressive Democrat candidates? Because the Democrat Party will not allow the so-called blue dog Democrat to even get on the ballot. To even get on the ballot. There's a suppression. There's a suppression. I'm looking to see if anybody, anybody even cares, but I do, so I'm going to go through this. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but that is the kind of stuff that average people might just read and mindlessly accept. In this article, Kaplan says the margin could easily tip the scales in the favor of Republicans as more than 8,000 registered voters have split precincts. They're talking about drawing the precincts. Well, the Democrats have drawn the precincts forever, particularly the NAACP. I just told you that. They drew a precinct that was like a dog's hind leg that scooped up all the voters for Corrine Brown. They'll be able to do that again. They'll be able to draw a district that scoops up all the voters for, hey, Chuck Chestnut. But the district is not going to be able to cover the east side of the county and the west side at the same time and guarantee a black candidate. Is it? Can you picture that district shape? It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Ozean Media. I know Alex Patton. I know what his attitude is about this. He calls it a hollow victory. Do you know what that, you know what that's like? You know what that's like? That's like calling FSU's victory over Florida a hollow victory. Let me tell you something, friends. You agree or disagree, a victory is a victory is a victory. You can put an adjective in front of it. You can call it lucky. You can call it hollow. You can call it unearned. You can call it crooked. Hey, it goes in the books, my friend, as a victory. It's a victory. And it's a victory that comes after 20 years of the county trying to keep the game from being played in the first place by keeping the issue off the ballot deliberately. 
it'd be one thing if a an average Joe said that. But this is a professional outfit. I was on media. I'm sorry. I have to say it like it is. Saying it's a hollow victory. It's a victory. You can say that the Democrats under underperformed. Well, if they underperformed, the Gators underperformed. Did they think they had it in the bag and that's why they didn't play as good? Come on. How many excuses you want to give me for the Gator loss? How many you want to give me? Oh, well, if. If they'd have zigged instead of zagged. And if they'd have, if they'd have ran, which is one of these horrible verb conjugations that these announcers use, they always say, well, he'd have ran. If he had run, let's get it right, you six-figure announcer. Yeah, if he had run instead of passing, or if he had passed instead of running, hey, it doesn't matter. They lost. Very disappointed in those young, horribly disappointed in them. I, I, you know, Kaplan's Kaplan. The same angel son's same son. But, you know, Patton should know better. I don't know, buddy. Every, every, every once in a while, I think, you know, why, why bother? Nobody listens to you anyway. Nobody listens. Nobody cares. Why bother? I guess I, I, you know, I just have to, I have to, I have to point this out. There's an article in the AP has put out. Oh boy, it never ends. Bad thinking never ends. The AP put out this article. It says, "Oh well." Go along, get along, little doggy. In this midterm election, there was no um, evidence of any kind of widespread beep. Everything's just fine. Get along, little doggy. We just had a midterm. No evidence of any kind of voter beep. Let's look at some facts. Voter beep takes time to develop. It's taken our data investigator, Mark Glazer, and Ward Scott Files two years. Two years to bring to the public's attention the voter beep that took place in 2020. Just getting to the brass tacks from the 2020 election, just here in this county, from discovery to justice, is still going on. Still going on. So it's taken two years. The AP has put out an article 
Are you thinking, are you just going through life taking everything for granted? I know the answer, the latter, right? Two years. There are two hearings just in Hillsborough County alone this week. Two in Alachua, I think, a couple of other, just now coming into the judicial system. Get this now. Get this, my friends. In the 2022, 2022 midterms in Alachua County, which is just one county in one state. Are you with me now? Students, are you paying attention? We've already found nine ineligible felons voted. Right under the nose of your esteemed supervisor of elections. That's just with a cursory look. Just a cursory look. In one county, in one state, with one supervisor, without trying very hard, nine And let me tell you something. To become a felon, you have to work at it. To become a convicted felon, you have to work at it. You don't get that title easily. You get adjudication with hell. You get the witness backed out. You get uh, all the what ifs and gee whizzes and wow, he was a this and that and one thing or another. By the time you get to be a convicted felon, also generally, you're a multi-time convicted felon. So if you're the AP writing an article, whose responsibility is it to get the facts straight? Well, you can bet it ain't gonna be the AP because they're going to print the easiest narrative they can write. It's going to fall on you, the consumer of the information, to exercise your gray matter and learn how to think. It's too early for me to start drinking, but I'm going to head out. Have a great day. We've got a great show for you tomorrow on Canines. Check it out. We'll be right back tomorrow. Be very interesting. Trying to get to the bottom, get to the truth for you. Warhol Command Center out.